जय जय श्री चैतन्य जय रिक्तानंद वेता चंद्र जय गौरभक्तवृंद श्री चैतन्य चरतामृत की जय चैप्टर सेवेंटीन मध्य लीला मथुर निकाती अलो मथुर देखिया दंडवत हनो पौधे प्रेम विष्टहान सो महाप्रभु came close to Mathura and seeing Mathura, he fell down on the ground, paying his dandavat, the holy abode of Krishna, and he was fully absorbed in love. Mathura, Asiya, Kaila Vishranti Tirtesnan, Janmasthani Keshubdeki, Kodilu Praman. So when he entered the city of Mathura, he took his bath at Vishram Ghat. Then he visited the birthplace of Lord Krishna, Sri Krishna Janmastan, saw the deity there, famous deity, Keshavji, and he offered his respects to the deity. So generally when the devotees, they do the parikram, circumambulation of the, the Mathura Mandal, then they follow Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's route. It will begin at Vishram Ghat bathing, and then to Keshaji, and so forth. In this way, they follow in the footsteps of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, which is the way to enter into Vrindavan. Practically speaking, there is no other way. So, Vrindavan, Mathura, we sometimes speak of as uh, synonymous, and that's so in the sense that Vrindavan is one of the bonds, Vrindavan, bond means forest, one of the twelve bonds of the Mathura Mandala. And uh, Mahaprabhu visited all of the twelve forests, the chief of which is Vrindavan, and that description will come. So as we briefly mentioned last night, coming to this point, is this is a very special place. Mahaprabhu, just by hearing the name Vrindavan previously, would faint in ecstasy. Now he's actually there in that place, so his ecstasy is swelled up to new extremes, and Balabhadra is his attendant, is very uh, much amazement and wonder, and having to, in the forest, in Varikanda, what did we find? Mahaprabhu made Vrindavan present through his chanting, but there we find that he protected Balabhadra by manifesting the Vrindavan. Here in Vrindavan, Balabhadra has to protect Chaitanya Mahaprabhu <laughs> from falling in the Jamuna and drowning and falling on the ground and the forests rolling on the thorns and such things, oblivious to any external consciousness. And here it's mentioned that he was not alone. Of course, there's another attendant with him, but by the arrangement of the Lord, he acquires a Tirtha Guru. It says here, Eku Vipropode. Prabhur Charana Dariya Prabhu Shange Nritya Kare Prema Vishtahana So Ek Vipropade So one Brahman fell down at the feet Prabhu Charana Dariya of Mahaprabhu catching hold of his lotus feet Prabhu Shange Nritya Kare Prema Vishtahana and in company together with Mahaprabhu began to dance in ecstasy. 
प्रेमे नृत्य करी करे कोलकुले हरे कृष्णा कह तुम हे बोले बहुत दूरे केशव सेवक प्रभु खे माल पड़ीला so all the people they began to chant seeing this these two dancing and chanting arms raised embracing one another chanting hari krishna everybody else began to chant in a great uproar and the priests in the service of the deity of keshava at the janmasthan the birthplace of lord krishna where there's a ancient deity there he offered chaitanya mahaprabhu the garland of the deity of keshavji लोक कहे प्रभु ढेकी अलौकिकौकिकौकिकौकिकौकिकौकिकौकिकौकिकौकिकौकिकौकिकौकिकौकिकौकिकौकिकौकिकौकिकौकिकौकिकौकिकौकिकौकिकौकिकौकिकौक
So Mahaprabhu noticed in him extraordinary prem that was very uncommon. So he wanted to know where he got this. This is the kind of prem that Mahaprabhu himself is giving out. And now he's just meeting him. So how this fellow could acquire it. Viprakohe Sripad Srimad Avindra Puri Brahmite Brahmite Oila Matura Nagari. He says, so Viprakohe, the Brahmin said, Sripad Madhavindra Puri. I got it from Sripad Madhavindra Puri. He uh, came to Matura when he came to the Mathura Nagari, to the town of Mathura, while he was touring and preaching. So, Mr. Madhavendra Puri, of course, was the guru of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's guru. And it is said that in him we find the seed of the kind of fruit of Krishna frame, love of God, that Mahaprabhu distributed widely. Not that he didn't have the fruit, but it was his first appearance in this world in a disciplic succession such that it could be organized uh, so it's institutionalized through literature and explained and and so forth. And this, of course, is what the Goswamis did. So Madhavendra Puri is very important. And he, he came, he traveled widely and in his touring uh, he came to Mathura. He lived in Mathura and there he used to uh, sit at Gopardhan and take Krishnanam. And he didn't ask for any food, he didn't beg, he just chanted. And whatever anybody brought, then he accepted. He accepted it as Krishna Prashad, the mercy of Krishna. So, seeing his condition, Krishna himself appeared before him as a young boy, kind of at an evening time and brought him some milk and he said that I'm the owner of this area here and my practice is that some people arrange their own food, some people beg and other people don't ask at all and for those who don't ask I supply. So he brought him some milk and Madhavendapuri took the milk and then he chanted and went into the trance and realized that Krishna himself had come and brought him that milk. And he was astonished. And then that same Gopal appeared in a dream and said that I've been in the bushes here for a long time. Previously I was established here by my own grandson, Virjanath. And after some time the Muslims came and attacked this place and so I was hidden here and I've been in here for a long time. It's really hot in here in the thicket in the forest, so please get me out and arrange to take care of me. So he woke and with his enthusiasm from the darshan in the dream and instruction, he was able to arouse all of the local village people and engage them with machetes and whatnot going into the brush looking. And they found the deity of Krishna. So he established that deity of Krishna with opulent worship and put him in charge of the care of two Bengali Brahmins and then after some time, he was told by the deity again in a dream that it was he was still not satisfied, although he had been bathed with hundreds of pots of water. He wanted a large supply of sandalwood pulp, which meant that Madhavendra Puri would have to travel a long distance 
they did it because it wasn't local. So he took that burden and he traveled such a long distance. And he acquired the sandalwood with some difficulty. And in the course of doing so, he had the darshan of Gopinath in Ramuna. This is up far on the other side of India. And that deity was very famous for the sweet rice that would be prepared for him every evening. Well, I think it was 12 cups of sweet rice. And so Madhavendra Puri had a desire to taste that sweet rice, thinking that if I could taste that, then I could know how to make it, and I could offer it to Gopal when I returned. But then he cursed himself, thinking, oh, just see, I just want to enjoy the deity's bog before it's offered. This is my, my condition. So he left the place. And meanwhile, in the night, the Brahmin who took care of the deity had a dream, and the deity came to him and said, I've kept one of the cups, I've stolen one of the cups of sweet rice that has been offered and kept it beneath my dress. Come and get it. I've stolen it from Madhavendra Puri. Go and find him. So he came in the night, he looked in there, and sure enough was the, was the cup of sweet rice. So he went into the marketplace calling Madhavendra Puri, whoever is Madhavendra Puri, Gopinath has stolen the sweet rice for you. For that he became known as Chirchar Gopinath, who steals the kir or sweet rice. This Gopinath. So Madhavendra Puri was found, and and although he tried to run away from his uh, natural celebrity status as a devotee, it chased after him. So fame chases after uh, the, the devotees, but if devotees chase after fame, then to that extent they're not devotees. We should be careful about that. So anyway, Madhavendra Puri, there's many, many nice stories. He was the guru of Advaita, and Nityananda Prabhu and so many of the elders of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Paramananda Puri and so forth. And whenever Mahaprabhu would meet disciples of Madhavendra Puri, then he would try to respect them like Madhavendra Puri himself and keep himself in a lower position according to the Vaishnav etiquette. So here he's uh, met one Brahman who had the good fortune to be converted by Madhavendra Puri, and thus the kind of love that Mahaprabhu was distributing was also found in him. So they have some common ground based on uh, not only the succession, the formal succession and initiation, but by the results of the initiation. The praying, the love in both of them resulted from applying themselves in relation to their Good fortune, their connection. So, Kripa Kori Tengho Mor Nilai Aila More Shisha Kori Mor Hathe Bhikha Kaila He says, while in Mathura, Sri Padmadavinda Puri visited my home and accepted me as a disciple. He even took lunch at my home. So, it's significant that he says here that he even took lunch at my home because this uh, Brahmana is called a Sonadiya Brahmana, a type of Brahmana. There are many different divisions within the caste system. And this particular type of Brahman was not a suitable person's home in which a sannyasi would take his meals. So there were various social restrictions, expectations, and so forth. So he says he initiated me, and he took his 
lunch here. It means he crossed over any kind of socio-religious considerations. Seeing the earnestness and the sincerity in that Brahman, he gave him Diksha and he fully accepted him on the basis of his now being a member of the Achyuta Gotra, the family of the Lord. So this is not understood by people who have a merely a socio-religious orientation to scripture and spiritual life. But this, of course, is what Madhavendra Puri was about and uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was about. There are many instances of this and some of them we've already heard about. Mahaprabhu's embracing of Ramananda Roy and Bhavananda Roy and how they replied in that regard and how they were concerned what the people might think, but Mahaprabhu was not concerned. So Madhavendra Puri in the same way. A good example of that in modern times is Srila Prabhupada, how he crossed over such lines to the extreme. He very much exhibited this. It's interesting because there are, are people in Gaudiya Vaishnavism that would be think that they became contaminated by being touched by the shadows of people from the Western world, even though they were initiated and chanting Hare Krishna. So you can see how strongly these types of uh, this type of religious and social convention and understanding permeates even today in Indian religious society, even within the ranks of, of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. They have their reasoning and so forth, I suppose, but the example of Prabhupada is, of course, enduring to us, and it seems very much to parallel that of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself, Madhavendra Puri as well, as we're hearing. Shuni Prabhu Koyla Talnara Charana Vandana Bhaya Bahu Pai Padila Brahmana So, as soon as Mahaprabhu heard about the Madhavendra Puri's relationship with this Brahman, he fell down and offered obeisances to him, and the Brahman in turn became afraid that this great sannyasi was doing this, so he fell at his feet. That's where they're falling at one another's feet, paying obeisances to one another. Prabhu Kohi Tumi Guru Ami Shishaprai. So Mahaprabhu said, You are my Guru and I am like your disciple. Guruhan Shisha Namaskarna Since you are my spiritual master, it is not befitting that you offer me obeisance. Mahaprabhu spoke to him this way. Shuniya Vishmita Viprakohe Bhai Pana Oiche Bhatta Koha Kene Sanyasihana. So hearing this, the Brahman he became afraid and he said, Why do you speak like this? You're a sannyasi. Kintu Tomar Prema Deki Mone Anumani Madhavendra Purira Sambandha Dharjani Upon seeing your ecstatic love, I can just imagine that you must have some relationship with Madhavendra Puri. This is my understanding. Krishna Prem Jahan Thanhar Sambandha Thahan Bina E Premara Koha Nahi Ganda So, he says that without this this kind of ecstatic love, can only be experienced in the line of Madhavendra Puri. Without connection with him, not a scent of it can be found. It's impossible to find even a trace, even a scent of this kind of love. Tobe Vata Charja Tare Sambandha Kahila 
শুনি আনন্দিত বিপ্রাচিতে লাগল So, I don't know if I made it clear, but the, the Brahmin is speaking to Mahaprabhu and questioning, you must have some connection with Madhavendra Puri because I can understand without a connection with him, one can get a sense of this. And so Balabhadra is explaining, yes, it's a fact. He's a disciple of Ishvara Puri, who's also a disciple of Madhavendra Puri. In this way, you are related formally and substantially to our members of the same, same gotra. Tobe vipra prabhore lana oila nicha ghare আপনার ইচ্ছাই প্রভুর নানা সেবা করে ব্রাহ্মণ তবে মহাপ্রভু হাসি বলে পুরি গোসাই তোমার ঘরে খে না ভিক্ষা মরে তুমি ভিক্ষ দেখা এই মোর শিখা ইসেস পুরি গোসাই তোমার ঘরে করি আছেন ভিক্ষা সো ইন ইউর হাউস পুরি গোস্বামী হেস হেস টেকেন হেস মিল He's begged Bhikkha. I mean, he implies that he took his meal here. More tumi Bhikkha deha. E more shikha. Therefore, you can cook and give me, and I will accept it. This is my shikha to you, my instruction. Shikha to you. So Mabu was, uh, as did Madhavindapuri, crossing over the, the social considerations. And here a verse is quoted. ভাগবত when Mahaprabhu's teaching, let's hear. He's saying here, what, what he's really doing is he's pointing out that the standard of the sadhu is the real standard to follow. And although there may be many injunctions, regulations, and so many things may be written, and there may be so many social standards and so forth, he sets the actual standard. He's the active agent of divinity. Mahaprabhu is actually placing the position of the sadhu here above the scripture. This is very extraordinary. And it's potentially, one may say, problematic in as much as, well, if the scripture is not the standard, then anybody can say anything. It is standard, but those who, who demonstrate that they themselves embody the import of the scripture, then their company is more... Valuable, the standard they set is more important than that of the, the scripture. We can determine, and it means what the scripture means from them. So what is their position? We find in our particular lineage that there's considerable uh, 
emphasis on this in the words of Bhaktivinoda and Shiksha, which conforms with what Mahaprabhu was really saying here, as well as in the um, practical example of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur, who innovated and adjusted so many things for the sake of the wide-scale dissemination of Gaudi Vaishnavism, and obviously he was successful in that to the extreme. So, as we read on, we'll see this is what Mahaprabhu is really saying here by quoting this verse. Of course, great people, they always cite the scripture and they legitimize, so to speak, their innovations by citing examples from the scripture, but those will be particular interpretations of the scripture. They may not be the standard ones of the time. But the body of revealed literature is, Prabhupada used to say, it's like, they're like law books. So that sounds very um, kind of set in stone. There's the law books, it's in the books, and so forth. But if we play that analogy out, we realize that law books are actually something that are kind of living. In other words, there are laws, and then there are circumstances that arise, which is the real world, in which we have to interpret the law in order to understand or to, to rule on, which then brings out nuances and insights and what the law may really mean, how may it be applied in different circumstances and so forth. So in this sense, we can understand that the lawyers and the courts and so forth are as much, if not more, a part of the judicial system as the law books themselves. They make the law books. They interpret the law books according to time and circumstance. And, and it's a living thing. It's ongoing. Laws that were written down hundreds of years ago are interpreted every day in new ways in society. Constitutional laws, what the founders meant, and, and so on and so forth. So, so much important is the, is the living sadhu to bring out the relevance of the scripture according to the time, place, and circumstance, its deeper meaning, its inner meaning, and so forth. So in this sense, the sadhu is more important than the scripture. He's the active agent of the scripture. Now, like I say, he always cites the scripture and gives a precedent. We may not always agree with that, but that becomes then, if he's a real sadhu, our problem. That becomes our problem where we are stuck with a, a literal kind of Kanishtadikari type of application rather than a living, dynamic, progressive, relevant, advanced understanding of the scripture. This is what realization means. Realization doesn't mean simply to parrot what's in the scripture. As I mentioned the other night, Sukadev, Sukha means parrot, so there's a play on words there. Sukadev Goswami spoke the Bhagavatam, but he didn't just parrot the Bhagavatam, but he made it sweeter, which parrots also do by nibbling on the mango before it becomes ripened. It said it, it hastens its coming to maturity, therefore it makes it sweeter. So in that way, there was a fear when the parrot, Radha's parrot, got loose, and uh, Radha's parrot came into where Shiva was speaking the Bhagavad to, to Parvati. And she, you know the story, she was speaking and she was, she was falling asleep during the narration. 
so many cantos, so many cantos. And the parrot was going, yes, yes, uh-huh, yes, dear, I got it. <laughs> like that, and, and heard the whole Bhagavatam. And then I guess she woke up during Krishna Leela or something like that, and, which is certainly the most interesting part, but it's, it shouldn't be uh, bifurcated from the rest of the text. But at any rate, she realized that this parrot has heard the Bhagavatam, and this is a problem. Just like we find in Ramayana, the uh, problem was raised that a sudra was reciting the Bhagavatam. And so he was to be restricted from that because it was a problem because the implication was that the, it was the property of the Brahmins. And this isn't a, a kind of a sectarian idea, but the property of people who had spiritual understanding and could explain it rather than misexplain it and abuse it like you find today. Any bhakta, bhakti, this, that, and the other gets behind a keyboard and uh, it doesn't matter or nobody knows who they really are, what their example is, or what their life is, and they write this, that, and the other thing, quoting scripture out of context, they don't understand the application, its meaning, and so forth, and it's a huge problem. So this was the idea behind only the Brahmins could uh, recite the Veda, and so on and so forth. Now, when the Brahmins become corrupt, of course, then you've got a big problem. (laughs) And so, at, at any rate, the point is that qualified people should recite and explain these literatures. Others should listen and thereby become qualified by hearing from them. So Shiva was thinking, this is a problem, this parrot has heard the Bhagavatam, and he's going to go and parrot it somewhere else without explanation and so forth, and it'll be misconstrued, and this will cause a, cause a big problem. So he chased the parrot, and, and the parrot went to, flew to Badrikashram, and entered into the mouth of the wife of Vyas and came out as Sugadeva, so that was uh, Radharani's parrot. We'll hear it as Mahabhu comes into Vrindavan to the twelve forests, these parrots, Shukashari, Shukasharika means the male and the female parrot. Radharani has a female parrot and Krishna has a male parrot and they recite the glories of each for each and they're well versed in all the intricacies of the details of Krishna Leela. They'll come land on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and speak Sanskrit slokas to him, and <laughs> glorifying Radha and Krishna and so forth. At any rate, the point is that qualified persons should recite the literature and they indeed bring it to life, make it alive for us, make it relevant for us. In that sense, they're more important. They're, in a sense, above the scripture. It's their conformity, in a sense, to the system that they undergo the intellectual of sorts, the academic of sorts, exercise of supporting what they're about with scriptural references. This is what the Goswamis did in relation to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. They found scriptural references in a way within script to make scripture speak about him. They saw in him the goal of the scripture, the ideal of the scripture embodied. So although scripture hadn't been interpreted in such a way, they interpreted it in such a way. And so there's a scriptural legacy to Mahaprabhu's ecstasy. And we're coming in the wake of that. So this is what is meant by the idea that, not to abuse the idea that, well, anybody can just say anything if the scripture is not the standard. No, scripture is the standard. But there will be different interpretations of the scripture. 
So, Mahaprabhu was saying, whatever a great person does, I shall follow. This may not be according to social convention here, but Madhavindapuri has done that. I have no problem, and I follow him. He sets the standard for Dharma. Dharma setatvam nihitam guhayam mahajanoyena katasapantha dadyapi sonadiya hai seita brahmana sonadiya ghare sanyasi nakari bhojana The Brahman belonged to the sonadiya community. The sanyasi it was at that time not to accept food from such uh, meals from such a type of a family. Prabhupada in his purport gives some details about this sonadiya community and and uh, in doing so, he quotes from Bhaktivinoda Thakur. In what northwestern India, Vaishyas are divided into various subdivisions. Bhaktivinoda Thakur points out that they are divided as Agarwal, Kalowar, and uh, Sanwada. Out of them, Agarwals are said to be the first-class Vaishyas, and Kalowars and Sanwadas are considered lower due to their occupational Degradation. Kalawars generally take wine and other intoxicants. Although they are vicious, they are considered to belong to the lower class. The priests who guide the Kalawars and the Sanwardas are called Sonadiya Brahmans. But when Thakur states that the word Sanoyada in Bengal indicates Suvarnavanik. In Bengal there are priests who guide the Suvarnavanik community, which is also considered a low class. There is Little difference between the Sanwadas and the Suvarnavanics. Generally, the Suvarnavanics are bankers dealing in gold and silver. In Western India, the Agarwals also belong to the banking profession. This is the original business of the Suvarnavanic or Agarwal community. Historically, the Agarwals came from the upcountry named Ayodha, and the Suvarnavanic community also came from Ayodha. It therefore appears that the Suvarnavanics and Agarwals belong to the same community, the Sanadiya Brahmins with the guides of the Kolvars and the Sanwadas. They are therefore considered to be lower class Brahmins and a sannyasi is not allowed to take alms or food from them. However, Mahaprabhu accepted lunch cooked by Sunadina Brahmins simply because he belonged to Madhavinda Puri's community. So his relationship was established in the rest of the spiritual reality. I think the Prabhupada's family is with Sunavanavanik also in a day. Tatapi puri dheki tanra bhuishna bachar, shishya kori tanra bhikya koila angikar. Although the Brahman belonged to the Sanodiya community, Madhavendra Puri had seen that he behaved like a Vaishnav, therefore he accepted him as his disciple. The food he had cooked had also been accepted by Madhavendra Puri. Mahaprabhu tanra dheki bhikya magila dainya kori Shei Vipra Kohite Lagila. Therefore, Mahaprabhu willingly requested food from the Brahman, and the Brahman, feeling natural humility, began to speak as follows Tomari Vikha Diva Balta Bhagya Shei Amar Tumi Ishwar Nahi Tomar Vividha Vyavohar. It is a great fortune for me. To offer food to you. Tumi Ishwar. Nahitomar. Vidibhyavahar. You're God. And as such, you're not restricted in your behavior. You can do whatever you want. 
So there are restrictions in behavior to attain a godlike status. And having attained that, then such rules don't have much bearing other than to live in accordance with them for the sake of other people who need to follow them. This is the idea. And for the most part, Mahaprabhu did that. But where those rules would get in the way of a higher understanding, which is what they're meant to bring one to by their normal application, being in and of themselves oblivious, in a sense, to that higher reality, although they're helping to people to go there, those under them, their guidance may be oblivious sometimes to what the goal is, following the system, but they don't know why. So, in instances like that, then they would be crossed over. And the teaching is to show us where they're meant to take us, what the, what the goal is. So, if one has simplicity and sincerity and uh, an open heart to receive the Vaishnav teachings, then regardless of his birth and and whatever else there may be about him or her from the past, their prarabdha, this overrides that. And those who are actually on that platform themselves are attracted to such people. So Madhavindapur was attracted to him, as Mahaprabhu was, and to so many others of so-called lower birth. Mukaloka koribhek tomar ninda sohite na porimu sei Foolish people will blaspheme you, but I shall not tolerate words of such mischievous people. So he had a good character that he was... He appreciated Mahaprabhu, Manmadavindapuri's compassion, kindness, and their acceptance of him. And although people would oppose it and so forth, he didn't care for them, and he was prepared to to speak to them along those lines. Prabhu kohi shruti smriti jata rishi gaan shobe eka mata nahi bina bina dharma So here Mahaprabhu says shruti smriti jata rishi gaan He says the Vedas, Puranas and great learned sages shobe eka mata nahi they are not all of the same opinion Bina Bina Dharma. Consequently, there are different types of religious principles. He's saying it's a maze. There's the Shruti says this, the Smriti says that, different Rishis who have manifested different scriptures. They say different things, and so there's many differences of opinion. There are all so many different statements of Dharma. Dharma Stapana Hetu Sadura Vyabohar. Puri Goshanir e Acharana se Dharmasar. So it says, a devotee's behavior establishes the true purpose of religious principles. The behavior of Madhavendra Puri is the essence of such religious principles. So as I mentioned, he's stressing the sadhu. Maybe he gives a Pimana shlok. Yes, this is a Pimana shlok. He says, Tarko Pratishta Shutayo Bibina. Dry arguments are inconclusive. A great personality who doesn't have a different opinion from another person is not considered a sage. 
simply by studying the Vedas, which are variegated, one cannot come to the right path by which religious principles are understood. Prabhupada translates here, the solid truth of religious principles. Dharma-sya-tattvam, the truth about dharma. Dharma-sya-tattvam nihitam guhayam. It is hidden in the heart of great souls. And, therefore, mahajana yena katasa Consequently, the Shastras confirm one should accept whatever progressive path the Mahajanas advocate. There you have it. Tabe sevi prabhu ke bhikkhya karayla madhupurira lokha shab prabhu ke dekita ahila. After this discussion, the Brahmins served lunch to Mahaprabhu. Then all the people residing in Mathura came to see the Lord. Any question? It seems that Mahaprabhu returns to Vrindavan, he goes through Mathura. And I was realizing that Krishna appears to Mathura as well. And then he leaves, he leaves Vraj through Mathura, Mathura as well. So does that have some significance? Not uh, really in the way you're thinking about it. I mean, it's significant that Krishna appears in Mathura. It's a complicated theological uh, reality. Krishna appears in Braj, actually. You're aware of that. He appears to appear in Mathura. It's actually an expansion of Krishna who appears in, in Mathura. And the original Krishna, Swayam Bhagavan, appears in Vrindavan, Gokul, Mahavan, actually. And from there they moved to Vrindavan. But um, in a general sense, the Mathura includes all of these places, the whole area, and it's significant that the Lord appeared in Mathura Mandal. It is the place, Mathura, what is it, Mat, Manmata, Matmata means to, to churn. So it is considered a churning place. Krishna's called Manmata, Manmata, means the, he churns even the mind of Cupid. Cupid tries to churn the mind of everyone. But Krishna attracts even Cupid. So, Mathura is considered what makes the world go round, in a sense. But um, ordinarily we think love, and love means lust makes the world go round. But Krishna conquers even Cupid, attracts even him. So, in this sense, that love of God that Mathura is about a, a place that we arrive at, so to speak, in love of God. That's called Mathura. That is really what is the driving force in the world of reality because it seems that material lust makes the world go round. But what actually makes the world turn and is the uh, mechanism of, of it all is that the way it works, the world works, is that by giving, one receives. That's how it actually works. But when we are governed by lust, it looks like by getting, we receive. But that's not really making the world go around, and if it is, not harmoniously. That's got it on tilt. So the way it really works, the way reality works, is like this, by giving, one receives. And that's, of course, what love is ultimately comes to to the point where you forget that you're even you're giving you're receiving so much that the giving is natural spontaneous and, and you're not thinking about getting so this is the idea of Krishna Prem this is the idea of Mathura you can go to the Mathura train station and um, try to get on the train 
and so many people will burst and try to get into the door first. So they're not quite catching the spirit of it. If you could just reverse that out and you could imagine everybody says, you first, you first, no, you first, then you'd have some idea of what Matura is actually about and how reality works, how the world really works. So this is kind of, in a sense, there in, in the word Matura. Any other question? It was said that this kind of love couldn't be found outside of Madhavinda Prabhu's mind, but it was found before them. Yeah, but as I mentioned, not in a in any systematic way. It wasn't available through them in any systematic way. They were bards who wrote about these things, mystics, but they didn't articulate a teaching by which it could be accessed, mm-hmm. taken advantage of, and so forth. This is the parampara, appearance of it in a parampara. And if you don't get it from a parampara, then you're not going to get it. So it's not it's really not available. It's a system of its dissemination. Now the Paramparas incorporated some of their writings, like the writings of Jayadeva and so forth. Vindyapati Mahaprabhu's incorporated into his, his Sampradaya, and thereby we can take advantage of them. But without that, who will understand those books and what they're about? They're very, very easily misunderstood. What's the tattva and uh, the actual philosophical, theological underpinning of all that? So in this sense, it's available only through Madhavindapuri with the disciplic succession of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He said that Shukla Parrot heard Moshiva narrating the Bhagavatam. So how did he get it? Is he the original speaker? Or? Shiva? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shiva is also a knower of the Bhagavatam. It is said, Hamvevi Sukhambevi. What is it? Hamvevi Sukhambevi. Vyasaveti Naveti Vah. Shiva speaking, I know the Bhagavatam. Shiva uh, has his uh, sampradaya, Rudra sampradaya, and uh, in that sampradaya, Sridhar Swami came. He was a famous commentator on Bhagavatam, whom Mahaprabhu respected so much, and has so much regard for. So it's an eternal message, and it seems to, just like in, in itself, the text has different beginning points, like Bhagavad Gita and so forth, different ending points. And, so it's actually beginningless and endless. Prabhupada used to say we have Bhagavatam in 60 volumes, but in other planets there are hundreds of volumes of, of Bhagavatam. Yeah. That's the dynamic sense of, of Bhagavatam. What we call the formal Bhagavatam is, is not even the recitation of Vyas to Sukadev or the recitation of Sukadev to Parikshit, although that's partially within there, but it's Sutta Goswami repeating that in 18,000 shlokas. Krishna is said to have spoken to Brahma in four verses. Originally, those four verses are in the Bhagavatam that we have in the second chapter. So Shiva is also knower of Bhagavatam, the essence. Shiva is Vaishnavanam Itashambhu, great Vaishnav. Now, he doesn't, maybe there are things he doesn't know about the Bhagavatam. And Brahma doesn't know, and Vyas doesn't know, the Rupa Goswami knows, Sanatana Goswami knows, Jiva Goswami knows, because they are actually players in the life of the Leela of the Lords, the Lord that's described in the 10th canto. So they can bring out insights that, uh, that even Vyas didn't have.
it's them that the book's talking about. <laughs> We're in a very special sampradaya. Sisi Gaunitananda ki jai. Gauri Vaishnava Guru Parampara ki jai. Ko Pramanandi.